Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. Whether you're a pastor, a lay leader in your local church, wherever you are, Ministry in Motion is designed to assist, to help you through the journey of ministry. Today's topic, we're looking at archaeology and how archaeology can actually assist us in our ministry. We have two very special guests, Gerald and Chantelle Klingbeil. Gerald and Chantelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very so much. So pleased that you, you're here to join us on Ministry in Motion. Now, archaeology, it receives a, a bit of a hard time. It's seen as old and dusty and mm -hmm. belonging to the past. Mm. Remy did that for us, will you? Is that really the case? Well, it surely is. You know, you're digging in dust all the time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of... Some people actually, when they think of archaeology, find it fascinating. They think of Indiana Jones, you know, and discovering treasure. treasures. Uh -huh. and, but archaeology, is, it's, a it's a science, you know. It's something where you try to uncover the past by looking at the material culture of, of that past, mm. the remains, what, you know, what le what's left over. Yeah. You can see some architecture, some pottery. You can see some bones. Mm -hmm. And suddenly a picture emerges that connects you to the past. It's actually exciting. Yeah. But you notice I'm biased. <laughs> well, I, I find it exciting and I'm not an expert in the area at all, mm -hmm. but you see, I've seen a, a clay pot with a thumbprint on it wow. uh, of the potter who actually made it. Mm -hmm. And when I look at that, that fingerprint and I think I'm looking at something that someone else has touched, created, made from several thousand years ago, mm -hmm. it's just so personal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can hold it, touch it, see yes. it. And, yeah, it, it is uncovering like a, a mystery of what the earth used to be like and how people used to live yes. in those days. But I, I noticed in your earlier comments, Gerald, you, mm -hmm. you use the word science yes. and archaeology is a science. Mm -hmm. And yet the Bible, often those two topics are seen at, as loggerheads you right. know, and as opposed to each yes. other. Talk us through the, the science of archaeology and the Bible. How does that blend together? Well, very often when we think of science, we are told, you know, somebody wants to sell us this, that science is objective. Mm -hmm. You know, there's objective facts, you discover them, you describe them, and then they lead you to... An obvious conclusion. An obvious conclusion. Yeah. Now, the problem is facts are not always facts, right? <laughs> facts require interpretation and interpretation is depending on so many different factors around the the facts um, the interpreter how did he sleep you know what are his in, yeah. connections to that kind of data or fact or find what do you have so what does he bring to the what evidence does he bring to the evidence yeah. you know yeah. so i think we need to realize that science in itself, there is nothing that's objective because there's always human beings involved. Yeah. And human beings are subjective. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not bad. We just yeah. need to realize that, I think. We, we need to get away from that myth that, you know, this, this find will speak objectively about the past. It, so it, is it possible that two different archaeologists seeing the identical evidence material can come to vastly different conclusions? Actually, there's a saying, if you have two archaeologists in the room looking at the same data, there's three opinions there. <laughs> <laughs> no, just three? Just three, maybe four. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> if they have split personalities. Yeah. No, um, yes, I think that, that's, there's much evidence. One example, remember that's the, the Mount Ebal excavation. Mm -hmm. There's a story... Where's Mount Ebal? It's... Okay, Mount Ebal is a, is, a, is a small mountain in Israel or Palestine right. um, that's associated with the conquest of Israel by the Israelites. Isn't this where, where an altar was built? That's right. This is after the Israelites, after the exodus out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They come to the, on the, what's now Jordan. Right. The river uh, Jordan. The, or the country Jordan. The country Jordan. You know, right. that's yes. in biblical times, that's called the other side of the Jordan or mm -hmm. Transjordan. Yes. They come there. They spend time. God opens miraculously a way. And then scripture in, in Joshua chapter 8 tells us that as they marched through, they kind of wanted to, to rededicate themselves and they built an altar on Mount Ebal where they sacrificed. Now, we know where Mount Ebal is. Mm -hmm. it was, there was excavations were done by Adam Settal. Adam Settal, he is a Jewish archaeologist. Right. Um, he uncovered this. It's a structure much bigger than this carpet here. It's right. about, in meters, four, five meters wide. So that would be about 20 feet? Yeah, more or less. Okay. 15 to 20 feet. And it's quite a platform. It's, it's a platform. It looks like a platform. Obviously, it's not complete. You know, stuff has been destroyed there or taken out. When he saw that, he says, oh, Perfect. This is confirmation of Joshua chapter 8. This is the altar of Joshua. Because at that time, in late Bronze Age, altars were this big. You know, you had to walk up there. And they were round. We found different examples at Hatzor and Megiddo at other places. Similar right. examples. Okay. So, comes a different scholar. He's also Jewish. He's a, you know, Israeli scholar. Um, Aaron Kempinski. Both of them are capable archaeologists. He looks at the same data. And he says, no, 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 this is not. First of all, we don't know if Joshua is re really a reliable text witness. Oh, really? So, secondly, this is actually the foundation, you know, the kind of the, mm -hmm. the basement of an agricultural watchtower, you know, looking over a vineyard or some fruit trees. Two archaeologists looking at the same data and making two different, coming to two different conclusions. Now, mm. how do you decide? Exactly. Mm -hmm. How do you decide? <laughs> how do you decide? <laughs> well, I, I guess we've got to take into what you said, yeah. into consideration. What were their worldviews? How did they approach it? You said the one doesn't consider Joshua a reliable text. Right. So I, I consider Joshua a reliable text. Mm. So and that so did Adam Sattel. Adam Sattel, he would obviously, he's, I would say he's more conservative in his approach to, to the Bible, to the Old Testament. So he would say, well, there is material in there that we need to take seriously if we want to think about the mm. past. Mm. So, yes. So the, pre, the, the presuppositions of the researcher, of the one who's interpreting, come into the interpretation. Uh, that's, that's an important point, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we, in just a moment or two, we'll, we're going to take a break, but we want to explore more about the, the, the Bible and understanding the context and even confirming some aspects of the Bible as well through, through archaeology. So stay right with us. We'll be right back with more of Ministry in Motion.
Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is archaeology and the Bible and how that can give us confidence in the Bible and also to do our ministry. Our guests today are Gerald and Chantelle Klingbile. Welcome once again. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. So with archaeology, has there been some clear evidence found which helps to confirm the Bible and secure our faith and our trust in the Bible. In that we're proclaiming the message of the Bible, mm. can we tangibly support the Bible with some good, solid archaeological evidence? Yes, there has. Um, for example, right now, the last, over the last 10 years, archaeologists and biblical scholars have squabbled and fought over the, the, actually the very notion if David ever existed. No. This is David. David's is king. King of the king of Israel. Israel. Right. Now, if we do away with him, we do away with a big chunk of the Bible, right? I mean, he's <laughs> one of the most quoted people's names, you know, in yeah. the Old Testament and also in the New mm -hmm. Testament. Exactly. I mean, over a thousand times his name appears. He's an author. He's a songwriter. He's a king. You know, if if we cut him out of the Bible as a real person, mm -hmm. just a mythical figure, wow. Obviously, there's, there's a problem. So scholars have debated that. And, you know, many text scholars working with the Bible, they said, no, these texts are not reliable. They were written four, five hundred years later. However, however, the, there's a discovery that really blew all of this out of the, out of the water. This is good news. Tell us about <laughs> this discovery. Yeah, I, I think there are more. But I think mm -hmm. that, that one is the easiest to recognize. In, in 1993, excavation were, were going on in Tel Dan. Tel Dan is in northern Israel. We know the text, you know, from the biblical text, you know, there's always this... This phrase, this phrase Dan to Bathsheba. That's right. You know, that means from the north to the south. Yeah. Because Dan is right on the northern border. Bathsheba is the southern border of, of Israel. And in Tel Dan, Avram, Avram Biran, a Jewish um, archaeologist or Israeli archaeologist, he excavated, he, oh, he had been excavating for two decades there. Mm -hmm. I mean, a long, long time. And they found... In the precinct of the gate, they found a stone that had been reused. Now, very often, you know, people, when there was a destruction or something broke, they would reuse a good stone because, you know... Stones were hard to come by. Hard to mm. come by. They were. Right. They were. <laughs> well, a cut stone would have been precious, wouldn't yes. it? And, and valuable for reuse. And as yeah. they looked at it, they realized it has an inscription on it. It was, there was some, some pieces missing. They found actually two more pieces in later excavations. And as they looked at it, they realized this is an inscription written in, there was still discussion about it, but most likely in Aramaic, in a language that, that belongs to the later period of the Old Testament. You know, yeah. for example, Daniel and in the Babylonian Empire, they, everybody spoke Aramaic. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the, like English, mm -hmm. the, the modern international language. Right. And it mentions there for the first time, the house of David. Now, House of David mm -hmm. is something we know from Scripture. You know, yeah. we always, when there's a reference to the descendant, it's called the House, House of, of David. David. Mm -hmm. And it uses the same phrase. Mm -hmm. it's, it mentions other is Israelite kings there that come from later times. So it was written about a hundred years after the death of David. So in terms of the context of time, reasonably close to the, the time of David, so, and it couldn't be confused with a, another... There's, David? We, we, there's no other David that yeah. we know of, you know, because the house of David is connected to the king there. Yes. Um, what about it being later? No, that 
the unique thing is it was written about a hundred years later. So we talk, you know, a hundred years without any Wikipedia and Google that you can quickly search something. Where would they come up if that person never existed? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, but he was so important that even a hundred years after his death, people would still refer to the kings of Judah on the other side of the border. Remember, there mm -hmm. was there were Israel and Judah. There were two kingdoms now. Yeah. They would still refer to them as the house of David, mm. which is a biblical expression, okay. confirming really, I think, the reality and existence of David. That's a, a, a classic example, and it's a, it's a recent one as mm. well. Yes. But midway through last century, in about 1947, there was another very significant discovery. It has taken some while for us to, to yes. work our way through this, but down by the Dead Sea, a place called Qumran, mm. there was some remarkable... Tell us about these finds, Gerald. Well, unique. I, I actually think these are the most important finds of the 20th century. Actually, I'm not the only one who mm -hmm. thought that. Um, William Albright, one of the great, you know, the great father of biblical archaeology, uh, a real important researcher, he, he wrote in a letter when he saw the first, in a, a copy of, the, or a photo of the first scroll, he said, Congratulations to the most important find in the 20th century. He wrote to wow. a colleague in Israel. Yeah, that's a significant statement significant. when you consider stuff like Tutankhamun. Yes. And he, those discoveries were found now, in the century. Now, why was he so convinced about it? And he didn't even know at that time when he wrote this, he didn't know the extent of all this. So this was just what they were digging up was just, or what they were discovering was just old pieces of parchment? They found scrolls. parchment, some scrolls, part of them, some of them were fairly complete, some of them were tiny little shreds yes. that they had to reassemble. All in all, in 11 caves they found material, hundreds, hundreds of scrolls. Mm. Very important. Why? Because many of these were copies from the biblical books. Yeah. Now, others were texts from the period of that mm -hmm. time, which, you know, is about between 150 to maybe 50, uh, 150 BC to about 50 AD. Um, so we're talking about a, a span of maybe 200 years, 220 years for that settlement. It seemed to be, have been a religious community mm -hmm. that was very fond, like all Jews were, of copying scripture and the texts that were important to them. Yes. There was sacred work mm. and they were, they invo were involved in sacred world uh, work. So they asked, you know, as we compare those texts with the text that we have nowadays, we suddenly realize, wow, they remarkably the same. And, and remind us again, so this was, this, these writings were done by the Qumran community yes. around what period? About 150 to 50 BC. BC. So we're talking about 2,200 years and before this time. And we compare our Bibles to the Bible that was in existence when, during the Second Temple period or when Jesus was on earth. Yes. And we find not just well, a similarity. Well, especially for the Old Testament, the oldest manuscript that we had up to that point was from about a thousand. There mm. was a codex that was found in Leningrad yeah. in, in, in Russia. That was the best evidence that we had. So suddenly we jump back 1,200 years we compare and we say, whoa, basically the same. There's some spelling differences. You know, yes, they write yeah. in different styles. But the text, so it, it shows, Remarkable. it underlines the reliability of those Jewish scribes who carefully doing that sacred work 
of copying the Word of God. Wonderful. Okay. Now, you've given us some great examples there, and there's many more, isn't yes. there, that mm, we, yes. if we had time, we could go into Sennacherib's work and so yes. forth, many others. After the break, I'd love to come back to, and talk some more about how archaeologists Archaeology helps us to understand the context of the Bible mm -hmm. and our Bible teaching. So stay right with us. We'll be right back with more of Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is how archaeology enlightens our understanding of the Bible and helps us with our understanding and teaching of the Bible. Our guests, Gerald and uh, Chantelle Klingbeil, welcome again. Thank you. Now, let's, let's put this whole picture of archaeology, the science of archaeology, into understanding the context of the Bible. How does it help us understand the Bible better? Have you got some examples for us? Well, I find it very exciting when I hear and learn about the archaeology of the Bible to read the Bible with new eyes. It makes a lot more sense often and when you look at it in context. Mm. Uh, you take the story of, of um, Rahab and Jericho where you have this, this flat-roofed house very close to a wall and, and I found that hard to imagine how this house would be on this wall that you could hang this cord out that people could this go. This red cord. And mm -hmm. out of the wall. But uh, apparently similar structures have been found integrated into city walls. Very, so, very, actually very common in Israel. Called, these, these are called casemate walls um, where you know there were basically a double wall and in between those the space in between the two walls was used for housing. It makes sense, doesn't it? Makes it makes sense. sense, yes. Yeah. It just helps me complete the, the, the picture mm. and it brings a, a new reality yeah. uh, to a story. I'm just thinking of uh, the crucifixion. Ah, it's yes. probably one of the things that we hear about so much yeah. and yet it's so easy to divorce ourselves from the reality ah, of, yeah. of a, a crucifixion. The, the gruesome reality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, recently I had an opportunity to to visit Israel mm -hmm. and there in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, they actually, and I was able to capture a picture, you, you could see the nail mm. as it pierced the, the heel, the, the, the bone of a person. Mm. And uh, wow, just it, it brings to, to a very real and the gruesomeness and the mm. pain associated with a, yes. a rusty, solid nail piercing a person's bone. Mm. No wonder it was referred to as excruciatus, the yes. crucifixion. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I remember holding a replica of, of one of those nails, actually, mm. and, and the thing was this long mm. and, and so thick, and it, it just brought the archaeology, just brings home the reality of biblical situations, yeah. um, which really have eternal consequences when we understand what the crucifixion fiction means that Jesus did it for me, yeah. it takes on a, a different dimension. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what, what does, what, or what has archaeology revealed about that the life and times of people that lived, what was their life like? What, what have we mm. discovered as a result of archaeology that pulls the curtains back for mm. us and lets us look at their times? Well, life was tough. Like in many subsistence cultures or societies, people just lived from 
you know, hand to mouth. Hand to mouth. You know, if there was not the rain, if there was not the right time amount of sunshine and rain, they wouldn't eat. Yeah. They couldn't just go to the supermarket and, you know, quickly fill in. Yeah. It, 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 for me, when I look at the reality and I, you know, excavate and I see, you know, a storage jar full of wheat. And mm. now this was the supply for a family. Yeah. Most likely for a clan. What mm -hmm. we learn about this also, the importance of family. Mm -hmm. We look at the housing and we realize this is not a house for a nuclear family like you know, yeah. modern yeah. Western family, one child, two children, couple, and that's it. This was a house where the whole clan lived. There was grandfather and grandmother and children and, and husband and wife and most likely an uncle and his family or an auntie whose husband had died. In other words, community was very important. You would take care of one another. You know, that's all this we see reflected in scripture. There's even laws that govern the social realities of of this. Yeah. Archaeology, I think, brings it home. It was a tough life. If, if rain didn't fall, sufficient rain didn't fall in Israel, there was a famine yeah. very quickly. And yeah. we read about famine, we just know, oh yeah, it's a famine, it's bad. We don't hear the stomachs growling and, mm. you know, the parched earth. We, yeah. got, we can't smell it. I think if we would recognize this, our preaching and our teaching would be very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the, the close proximity that people lived, mm. Not only with each other, like their homes were small, they were compact, they lived close to one another, but their homes were so close to nature. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you know? As you mentioned, there, there wasn't a huge leap from, from starvation to... Yeah, it and, was so close. And what, what I find as well is, is this identification with people that lived long ago. Uh, although they, they lived in different homes, etc., they people with the same needs that I have, mm -hmm. the same questions about faith, the same struggles, and, and God's word was given to them, and it's still the solution for me, yeah, that, yeah, that yes. relevancy. Mm. Yes. Let me just throw, this is an unprepared question, I'm not yes. sure how this will go, but do you have a, a, a recommendation of a, a good overall book on archaeology that you could recommend to a pastor or, or somebody who's interested in understanding yes. these Bible backgrounds? There's, there's a good book by Alfred Hurt that was published on the archaeology of the Old Testament, and I believe there's a companion volume on the archaeology of the New Testament. Right. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember now the... We'll put it on the website. Yes, I we'll can't get that. remember the and with publisher, this but it's a very valuable book. It goes kind of through Scripture, the periods of Scripture. Right, terrific. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gerald and Chantel. We really appreciate it. And we're glad that you've joined us in, in this program as well. If you're watching Ministry in Motion, we're sure that you would enjoy Ministry the magazine. If you'd like to be considered for a complimentary subscription to Ministry the magazine, come and visit our website, ministryinmotion.tv, and you may be eligible to receive it. Anyway, Come and visit our website. All of our programs are there on archive. But until next time, may God richly bless you and your ministry.